Listening to today's episode of From the Horse Box, where we chat to people who live and love the countryside. We have a golden nugget today. Born in 1927, she is passionate about farming and the environment. Yes, the lorry is revving to motor at a speed of two minutes per decade. No time for drinks today, Claire. Let's welcome Ursula Hutchinson Smith. How did you come to be called Jill? On the way to my christening, my mother changed her mind. She had thought she would like to call me after a very loved great aunt, Ursula. But as I'd been Jill for the moment I arrived, I was Jill for the rest of my life. Your parents were living in Huxley, Cheshire, and bought Hinton in 1928 when your father was working at the Cotton Exchange in Liverpool. Tell us about their moving in. My parents brought with them to Hinton from Huxley ten cows, five peppers, 133 hens and some implements, all of which was valued at £383. They walked the cattle after milking from Huxley, some 12 miles, and my mother often described how they answered her when she called them up the drive after their long journey. Together with your brother Giles and your cousins, what made your childhood so idyllic? I think it was because we lived at Hinton on the farm where there were cattle, and pigs, and there was always such a lot going on. Um, the farm was our livelihood, but also we got to know the wildlife, birds, and things that grew uh, happily in hedgerows. And it was an unorganised childhood, so that we could ride our ponies to go and see friends or bicycles, and nobody ever worried about what we were doing. One of our lovely outings, I remember, we were very young, and we caught the train, my brother and I, to go and fish on the tenant at Lanamunnock. So we got a train from Whitchurch to Rosenstreet and changed, and we got the train to Lanamunnock, got off it. I think I was all, t- all of 10, he 13. We fished all day, and the return train was 5 o'clock in the evening, and we got home about half past 6. And my mother wasn't the least concerned. She did have a lovely day. How marvellous. And you mentioned ponies there. Um, do you have a special childhood hunting story from when you were growing up? Well, the one that I enjoy telling people many, many times, I was always had to go home when I was hunting at two o'clock and we'd gone on to draw maze fan. The ladies or gentlemen said, Jill, it's time you went home. So very dutifully I set off for home. And when I got to Jackson's Bridge, which is the canal bridge onto our land, Beside me, there was a pack of hounds going absolutely flat out after the trail um, on my land. And so I was on my land with our hounds alone. And there was my mother on the top of the hill above the house. She couldn't believe what was happening. And I flew, my hounds in full cry, I flew past her. I finished up at Marbury, and that's where the other ladies and gentlemen caught us up. But to have our hounds by myself on our land, on my pony, was... A, an experience never ever to happen again. Fantastic. What age were you then? Ten. Ten, goodness. And you passed on the love of the Wednesday Hounds to all your family. I think I have, you? actually. I think I have, actually. Yeah. I think, yes. That's, that, aren't I lucky? You are. Especially Hugh, he's mad about them. So 
Jill, how and when did the cheesemaking start? The cheesemaking started in 1933 when the price for milk was so low that my mother was loath to uh, sell it to her buyer in Liverpool. So she decided that she would make cheese from her milk. And she had never made cheese. It's just a lifetime, really, to learn the art. But she bought equipment to make it and had a little dairy on the yard on the farm. And when she, the day she started, she had a neighbour come and show her how to do it one day, kindly helped her, and the next day her neighbour came to help her. And the third day she was on her own making cheese, and she'd never, ever done it before, but she was very clever and learnt very quickly how to make it. Mm. And of course, the advantage of cheese making is the fact that the byproduct way goes to feeding pigs, which is a really good ecological, if you like, conservation policy because the cheese drink pigs drink the whey and add to the fertility of the land and therefore the land produces more grass which then makes more milk for the cows and so if you have more milk, more cows, more grass, more pigs, more manure, more grass. That's really interesting. So Jill, you went to school in Whitchurch until you were 14 when you went to Down House near Newbury and we were at war. How did you cope? I don't think there was any um, particular problem Everybody was coping. Um, we all just got on with what had to be done. My mother was farming hard. My father was serving, and so was my brother. And um, getting on the train going to school was just perfectly normal, straightforward. I don't think we thought of coping. I think we just got on with what happened to be, had to be done at the time. And also, I think emotion was very much um, in control. If When you said goodbye to your brother or father, and they only had 48 hours embarkation leave anyway. The great thing is to go fishing or play tennis or have a nice day, and no tears, that wasn't on. This compares with today's crisis, when we're all very emotional, aren't we, about what's happening today? Well, emotion is is, is not, um, I think, really, really, as we were faced with a life or death situation, because we so easily could have been overrun by the Germans. We were led, led by... Winston Churchill was probably the greatest Englishman ever lived. Now, you read Agriculture at Edinburgh University. Um, did you always want to take on the farm and the cheese making? I always wanted to farm, whether I farmed at Hinton or not. I don't know whether that was my ambition. But This course um, at Edinburgh must have been quite exacting. Um, how did you find um, the actual scientific side of the course? Um, the beginning of the course, which the first year was pure science, the same as doctors, was ex- very tough. Um, the botany and the zoology I passed very easily, but the chemistry was difficult, but the physics was almost impossible. A, I didn't understand it. B, I'm hopeless at mathematics. With three girls and 40 men on your course, you loved university, especially the Scottish dancing. You also fished and climbed mountains. And you had your first trip abroad. Our first trip abroad was enormously exciting, accompanied by Helen and Sarah Livingston, who shared um, a landing with me in my residence in Edinburgh. And um, we only had £25, because that's the only amount of money you could take. So we decided that we would hitchhike. It was extremely dangerous. My mother would have thought about that. I have no idea. But we hitchhiked all the way to Switzerland. And I think we came back by train because I think we had to get back and it was too far to pitch back all of that. But on the thumb, people stopped and picked us up 
invariably asked, how, Mr. how is Mr. Churchill when we were said that we were English? And he was revered throughout France, really, throughout Europe. You were also the first woman to be awarded the Nuffield Scholarship. As well as being an amazing achievement, this must have had a huge effect on your life. It's enough field um, revolutionised my life because it meant that I could travel abroad and visit farming. Um, on my scholarship, I went to Sweden, Denmark and Holland because I was interested in cows and their metabolism, which is what I did my scholarship on dairy cattle. Because of being a Nuffield scholar, one has contacts worldwide with other scholars and it is, it's a fellowship of friends. And when we have a scholar's reunion or we have a, um, a conference day every uh, summer in the United Kingdom or a worldwide one and we gather together and discuss the issues of the day and listen to the papers that are being given by the returning modern returning scholars. It is now set up as a worldwide organisation to enhance and grow the knowledge of farming throughout the world. It's a wonderful family to which to belong, and I feel very privileged to be a Nuffield Scholar and also to have been one time chairman of the Nuffield Scholars Association, which was an unusual thing to find myself doing. That's an amazing um, thing to hear about, Jill. Thank you. So, as you said, with the scholarship came more travelling. Are there any special moments you would like to share with us? I think that being able to um, make contact with other people farming worldwide is, is, is positive. But also, at one stage, we were asked to go and re-establish the farming in um, East Prussia um, as a group Nakhil scholars were asked to go. And it was quite a tricky thing to do because the chap who was in charge of that part of the world was rather reluctant to support us. But meanwhile, we took our cheese vats um, from Hinton and laid it on a lorry and started to make cheese in a place called Kaliningrad, um, which was not easy, but it was a fascinating outing because we were making cheese with milk that had been standing in a wee tankard outside a cottage for some time and therefore wasn't likely to be of very good quality. So making cheese in <laughs> Kaliningrad with our cheese vats and their milk was quite a... a, a quite a... Um, Challenge. Challenge. Did this cheese-making venture in Russia take root? Did it? Did they continue to It's a very progress? good question. The answer was that the lady who was in charge of the dairy came to Hinton to see how we were doing it. And luckily, she was an independent authority. Meanwhile, there was a reluctance from the overseers, the communist overseers, because they didn't like us. It was political, was it? Thank you. Yeah. And the whole of Kaliningrad, East Prussia, was um, wasteland. And so we tried to get seed corn in, which we did quite a lot. Of, they hadn't got any seed corn, and they hadn't got any combines because the combine belts had been used to mend their shoes. So if you haven't got a plough, you haven't got a combine, you haven't got a seed, you were really struggling. So we were absolutely determined to try and help them get started. And I think we did quite well. I think we, I think we did quite well um, to start off with, in spite of the political resistance. So not only did you revolutionise cheese making in Cheshire, mm -hmm. you also did so in Russia. <laughs> That's amazing. I, just, I don't know about that. I don't, well, was... While David was in the RAF, you had many postings, but with your children, Rupert, Celia and Giles, returned to Hinton in 1967 to take up the reins. 
And most people remember that year for foot and mouth. What was it like? Foot and mouth was a very worrying, upsetting time to be farming, equally for everybody who had cloven-footed animals. Um, And it was started in the market in Austria at the end of October 1967. It's written on my heart because it was windborne and there was westerly winds, as you know, living in our part of the world, the wind comes from Wales. And the foot and mouth then was windborne and touched down um, every three or four days. So it started near Austria and then Ellesmere got it and then Woodchurch got it and then going east like Nantwich. So the, the, mm. the, gradually the whole of um, North Shropshire, South Cheshire, foot and mouth was rife and it was a horrid, horrid time for everybody because everybody who got it had to have their horses being upon their cattle slaughtered and pigs mm. because it's so catching. So did you manage to escape? We 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 were enormously fortunate in escaping it. And I think it's larger because we were on the top of the hill and I think the wind blew over the top of us and therefore we didn't catch it. But we didn't go anywhere. We didn't go shopping. We, very kindly neighbours used to drop our shopping at the end of the drive. So the children didn't go to school. Celia and Giles were at school in Woodchurch, but they didn't go for that. Nor did other children go to school. Um, other farm children didn't go either. Um, it's rather like the endemic now. It's rather a similar sort of way of handling it. But it was horrible because when the cattle were slaughtered, they were either buried or burnt. And the quickest way was to burn them. Burying them meant that you had to get a JCB and dig a hole and bury them. But burning was considered to be a better way of getting rid of them because then the whole countryside smelt mm, of burning place. wood and burning mm. cattle. We lived in a sort of pall of, of, of smoke for some time. weeks, yeah. um, which was not pleasant. And, of course, there was, there was a great rapport with everybody because everybody wanted to help one another. Everybody was frightened of foot and mouth. And the reason that we had to slaughter the animals was that if we hadn't, it would have become endemic, which means um, there for always. So it would always reappear again. And the England decided, the Ministry of Agriculture decided, we do not want endemic foot and mouth because if we had, we would not be able to export our livestock, which is one of the main sources of agricultural income is sending livestock overseas. So it had to be done. It had to be done. I believe David helped you with the weather forecasting and the winds from the air ministry where he was stationed. Absolutely he did, because um, he would go to the top of the roof of the air ministry and see which way the wind was blowing in Shropshire and could forecast then more or less accurately where the next cases were likely to um, occur. Having escaped foot and mouth, Together with David, you started to develop Blue Cheshire Cheese and your farming enterprise expanded. What exactly was this new cheese? Blue Cheshire was something that had happened by mistake um, for some years and nobody knew why it had happened. Possibly um, the cheese had been left in a draft or it had been dropped by the dairymaid. Then a man called Geoffrey Hutchinson, who is no relation at all, fun enough, had a warehouse in Woodchurch in Orkington Road where he bought cheese that he thought if he kept them, they might go blue. He was very clever at selecting the sort of cheese that he thought would go blue. And when he took them down to his warehouse, he had two or three men working for him and they had a skewer and they skewered the cheese 
to let the air in because blue mold needs penicillin rock forty needs air um, to grow, and so he he started a business making selling blue Cheshire, but he never made cheese, and his business expanded and expanded. But really, the original blue Cheshire happened by mistake. It was just an accident, and nobody knew why it had happened. But he cleverly built his business on the mistake. And then I thought, when he died and there was no blue Cheshire, the milk marketing board said to me, would you like to see if you can make... I said to them, I think, can I see if I can make blue Cheshire on purpose? And they said, all right, you have a go. We had good friends, and they thought it was another way of, of doing selling milk, of course. So we set about, I thought if it happened by mistake, it must be possible to do it. And it took probably some years to discover exactly how it was done um, by trial and error, because the first cheese we made were um, the original Cheshire State 12 and 13 inch across cheese, which are much too big and fat to go blue. You need a tall cheese like a chimney pot, to, um, like a Stilton to go to, to, to ease the bluing. But we gradually, it took us a long time to learn exactly how to do it and how to handle the milk and which bacteria starter, electric bacteria to use in the milk to make the cheese that we wanted to go blue. But eventually, with a lot of trial and error, we found out how to do it. And eventually we found out how to do it every time and we got every cheese to go blue. But that took me 10 years to learn how. Promoting and exhibiting Blue Cheshire Cheese took you all over the world. Can you mention a few highlights and some of the people you met along the way? We were fortunate to be asked, for some reason or other, to a reception at number 10 Dining Street, um, where we met lots of people and had a lovely time. But the next morning, we were meeting our sales team, employed by the marketing board, in, the, in some offices in Condit Street, and they all said to us, what did you, well, they were talking about what they'd done the evening before. And we said, they said they'd been to the theatre or they'd done something nice. What you do, they said to us. And we said, oh, we spent the evening at number 10 Downing Street, which did an enormous amount of good. And who was the Prime Minister? <laughs> Mrs. Thatcher. Oh, goodness me. Who took David by the arm and said, what do you do? And he said, I make cheese. And she said, oh, really? Interesting. Come with me. I want to show you. I want to show you the pictures I've got. I've got rid of all these British historians. And I've now filled the walls with pictures of the scientists. So she had Boyle and Faraday. And off they went together. She's a very bossy lady, but it was a bit... Well, she was a scientist, wasn't she? Yes, and the grocer's daughter. So doubly, that's she would be interested. Exactly. Yes. She rather she she rather took to David. What else did you enjoy doing away from the farming? Well, sailing was one of the things we enjoyed thoroughly, mostly in um, North Wales of Aberystwyth, which was easy to. We had a easy, nice place to sail, and we had dinghies where the children all learned to sail. And we had a bigger boat on a mooring at Aberystwyth, and also we stayed at a very nice house called Halfrin with the Hammer family. I think for some years we had a holiday there. It became a, a, a yearly delight um, to share that house. Instead of our quickfire questions today, we have amazing achievements. These being... Two COVID vaccines. A magistrate for 25 years. The first female to become a fellow of the Royal Agricultural Society of England and later its chairman. 
a member of the Wednesday Pony Club Committee and currently still its president. Together with Christine Jones running the Wednesday Farming and Wildlife Competition. Hosting regular farm visits at Hinton, ranging from the NFU and the ladies from the WI. But you especially enjoyed the school trips, and I know you have a lovely story. The lovely thing was having school children from the towns. We had one visit when the children got off the bus in the middle of the farmyard. and One small chap, aged 11 or thereabouts, with his socks around his ankle, his cap on the back of his head, leapt off the bus with great glee and said to me, Where's the farmer? I said, I'm the farmer. And he said, you can't be, you're only a, using a very naughty word, woman. I've often laughed about that. He obviously had a vision of what he thought a farmer should look like, and I disappointed him greatly. I had no breeches, no gaiters, no cap and no coat. That's a lovely story. It was also on one of these trips that ultimately led Cecilia's marriage to Roger. We had many visits to the farm and the dairy, one of whom was George Douglas. Uh, anyway, cut a long story short, we met George Douglas at the Royal Show and arranged for Rupert to go for, as a pupil to him for a year and learn about farming in East Anglia. Celia went to keep house for Rupert while he was helping Roger and uh, helping George and met Roger, which is how um, the fact that Celia and Roger eventually married each other. And the rest is history. Yes, I like that. In the late 80s, you decided to sell the cheese making. Briefly, can you tell us why? We needed to expand. The business had got so um, out of, grown out of its premises, and we needed to build a new creamery and start, really start again and with a huge input of capital. And we thought, is this sensible? Will our family want to follow it on? It was at the top of its um, turnover, because we were sell a business on the turnover at that time. And we thought, I think this is the time maybe to sell the business, which was really a recipe, that's all what was in my head. And we decided to do that and to sell the business to the Stilton people who very badly wanted to buy it because they wanted to buy the um, opposition because obviously we were doing well. They wanted to buy our market. You are now amongst friends and family in Molpus. Tell us about your new life. Having lived at Hinton Bank Farm from my very early childhood, farmed there, brought up our children and Natalie lived in retirement at the manor house, I could never have imagined leaving Hinton. However, my idea for possible change was hugely encouraged by Celia. Without her moral effort, endless kindness and Herculean efforts, I would never have been able to move. I am now living in the village of Morpus, only four miles from Hinton, in the perfect house of someone of ninety. I have fabulous views from my chair over Shropshire, charming neighbours, garden soil to die for, and goldfinches. I am warm and comfortable with bags of space, and to use Moll's most favourite word, content. Jicky, would you like to finish with your favourite saying? I think possibly a useful saying is, better later than never. Jicky, thank you so much. I do remember hearing you say, hunting is worth a guinea a minute, while well, today's chat is too. <laughs> yes, thank you, Jicky. It's been such fun. We would also like to thank Shirley for sending this out and to all our listeners for joining us.
If you've enjoyed it, please share and tell your friends. From April, we're planning to use an official podcast platform and we will tell you exactly how to find us. Meanwhile, stay safe and we look forward to our next episode of From the Horse Box when it could be you in the driving seat. Thank you.